It's the Relevant Top 50, counting down the best music, TV, books, and movies of 2016. This Relevant Podcast miniseries is brought to you by Videoblocks. Videoblocks is an affordable, subscription-based stock media site that gives you unlimited access to premium stock footage. Videoblocks also has a sister site, Audioblocks, that offers unlimited access to 130,000 premium music tracks, sound effects, and loops. Right now, Videoblocks is offering our listeners a year subscription to both Videoblocks and Audioblocks for only $149. It's an incredible discounted deal to get both stock video and audio files for any project. Get your year subscription today for only $149 at videoblocks.com relevant. That's V-I-D-E-O-B-L-O-C-K-S dot com slash relevant for this discounted offer. Now here's the show. Welcome to the Relevant Top 50, our countdown of the best movies, books, TV shows, and music of 2016. I'm your host, Jesse Carey. I'm an editor here at Relevant, and here with me today... Is relevance Kahuna oh. Cameron Shrank. <laughs> I'm heightening this thing every week. I, you, sh- you should hear what I have planned next week, Kahuna. No habla espanol. Also with us today is relevant uh, editorial director Aaron Hanbury. Hello, Jesse. Uh, joining us also is relevance hey. managing editor Rebecca Joe Flores. Hello, hello, hello. Woo, good energy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, really, really, really coming in hot today, Rebecca, I like it. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, also, last but not least, least. uh, our producer, Chandler Strang. Hello. Well, uh, just in case you're just catching up, we are counting down some of our favorite pop culture releases of the year, and we are on the home stretch. After today's episode, uh, we only have one more, which we will be revealing the top 10 releases Mm. of 2016. So the anticipation is growing with each episode, but honestly, I'm really excited about some of the stuff uh, that we have on the docket today. In case you missed last episode, a quick rundown. We talked about the Spring King album, Tell Me If You Like It Too, the TV show Divorce, Sean Nequist, Present Over Perfect, Crowder's album, American Prodigal, James Vincent McMurrow's album, We Move, the TV show Atlanta, the documentary, Let Hope Rise, and finally, Beyonce's Lemonade. Today, uh, we're kicking off with an album that uh, kind of came out of nowhere. It's been 18 years since the release of the last studio album, the legendary hip-hop group Tribe Called Quest released. But this year, they returned with one of the most surprising and unique hip-hop albums of the year. We got it from here. Thank you for your service. Producer Q-Tip shows why he's still one of the best in hip-hop. And it has a, a bunch of cool collaborators uh, that are featured throughout the 16 tracks, including Andre 3000, Kendrick Lamar, Elton John, Jack White, Anderson Pock, Best of Rhymes. Coming in at number 18 is Tribe Called Quest. We got it from here. Thank you for your service. We don't believe you, because we the people are still here in the rear, yo, we don't need you. You ain't the killing off good young, young mood. When we get hungry, we eat the same food, the ramen noodle. I went on a road trip to Miami this last week, and I listened to this song on repeat for about three hours, so 
Did you crawl out of your sun groove I, while I, you did it? Yeah, you've seen that video. <laughs> uh, the thing that's so remarkable about this album is it's um, well, number one, I want to I want to give the caveat. Uh, we are endorsing the clean version, which is available on iTunes <laughs> and all right. streaming services. The clean version. Um, There's basically two albums. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, the uh, the thing that's so remarkable is its its relevance and how fresh they are. Yeah. Tri- a Tribe Called Quest back in 1991, 93, 95. They, they are, I mean, any hip hop. Actually, I was having dinner with Lecrae the other night and he was, and I was saying, who's all time for you? And he was like, Outcast and Prop was like, A Tribe Called Quest. I mean, they are right there as like, the best band of all time in hip hop, and, uh, and and when a band goes away for eighteen years, and and you know Fife Dog passed away a few years ago, yeah. and Fife is like you know Fife and Q Tip. I mean, they were that's it. I mean that that kind of the juxtaposition of their their styles is just what made them so fantastic. And so without Fife Dog, I mean, I was a little nervous when I heard they were coming out with an album because yeah. it's just like, oh no, oh no, old man holding on, need to make a few dollars or something. You know what yeah, I mean? Absolutely. It was so socially relevant, important. I mean, and musically fresh. I was just I'm blown away. And if yeah. you saw their SNL performance, oh, that man. was tremendous. Well, I, I think it was the coolest part about how fresh the album is, is that it, it doesn't feel nostalgic, but it still feels like them. It feels Old like school. a resurgence. Yeah. Like, yeah. It still feels back like that them. New York City. <sighs> Very but, East Coast. Yeah. Early ni- I mean, listen, this is my prime time. I mean, Early they, 90s hip hop. since before I was born. Yeah, early '90s hip hop is my love language. I mean, like Far Side, Tribe Called Quest, you know, uh, Outkast, that era, and and so for I so what I still listen to, I still listen to old school hip hop. That's what I'm saying. It it is not derivative. It feels fresh, but it yeah. is so them. Yeah. I mean, it is so captures what's great about that that kind of era of that genre. It was, I think, it's when it's hip hop hip hop at its best. You know. And the commentary is made all the more imperative, oh. like following, you know, the, the election season that we've had. It makes commentary against hatred, against sexism, against police violence um, by track two is so it's it's really incredible. And and Q-Tip, if you listen to like if you've listened to any of Q-Tip solo stuff or even his Beats One show, Abstract Radio, he is he's an artist. I mean, he is weird his like at, like deconstructed atmospheric kind of he has a, he's an avant-garde taste right mm-hmm. and that tastefulness comes through while staying true to this kind of like old school hip hop thing but he elevates it that's not a traditional like track by track by track singles driven album it is an album it is an experience it flows uh, it's just it's a great it's a great album ABC's sitcom Blackish is more than just a family sitcom. It's a smart take on modern social issues. Season two of the show found the Johnson family discussing everything from racial injustice to tension that they feel to even the Black Lives Matter movement. It's a funny show that's not just a, a different take on uh, the typical primetime sitcom, but it also has something important to say. Coming in at number 17, Blackish. My name is Andre Johnson. I have a great career, a spectacular house. And a loving family I'm surrounded by every day. Hey, Pops. Son, can I just please get a little coffee in me before you start this morning? But as a black man with all this success, sometimes I feel like an oddity. If you look to your left, you'll see the mythical and majestic black family. Lately, I feel in order to make it, we've all dropped a little of our culture. All right, stop, Andy. Stop. Andy? That's not even close to Andre. I think it says I'm edgy but approachable. I think it says I hate my father and I play field hockey. The thing, the thing that I love about Blackish uh, is it, it, when it first debuted a couple years ago, I, I thought 
it had a short shelf life that, you know, kind of once they told the joke of fish out of water, you know, affluent black family uh, now trying to raise their kids in a white world, but, you know, have them stay true to their, you know, family's roots and their culture. You know, I kind of thought it would get tired, yeah. but what's elevated about the show, especially this season and why it made our list so high is the smart commentary that it's making about what's happening in our society. Mm-hmm. And they're doing yeah. it like, like you said last week with a light touch, but it, with a poignancy in a point of view that is accessible to both sides of society. And I think that they're able to stir they up a conversation. Yeah. yeah the, it's, that, it's really good. And I mean, the acting on this show is really phenomenal too. Tracy Ellis Ross, you know, she was nominated for an Emmy. Uh, Yari Shahidi, she's one to watch coming up and they're just hilarious. Yeah. They have so much chemistry between one another. Absolutely. And they make this commentary yet make it accessible, just like you said. So I love it. And it's not just, I mean, while the the, the racial tension shows up repeatedly and comedically and but poignantly. But it's even socioeconomic yes, tension. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's way more than that. And even the church thing. Mm-hmm. Now it's all of a sudden yeah. they're this affluent church, you know, like the grandparents like raised them in the church and then you know now they're not raising their kids in the church and one of the episodes dealt with that tension and so they decided to go to church and they ended up going to a hipster white church and I mean it was hilarious even the commentary on like kind of the relevant church world you know what I mean so it's great I mean I and I loved how it doesn't treat these issues with any stereotype. I mean, even the yeah. church issues, the racial tension issues, there's like an honesty to this show, but it's still really funny and smart. It's it's a it's an important show right now. I, I think one of the things that's interesting is like the legacy of kind of shows that initially were sort of subversive commentary about racial issues, like going all the way back to like something like the Cosby show, where things kind of went without saying on a show like Blackish, they can address issues directly and they don't have to dance around them and they can talk about Black Lives Matter, or they can talk about issues in the church, or like you you heard from that clip, they can talk about perceptions and stereotypes about what kind of sports people should play or what kind of image they should have. There is no dancing around. They're they're talking about issues directly, which I think is fresh, especially for like a network show. I, I remember the episode after some of the shootings, and they they dealt with it. And I mean, I can't think the last time a, a, a half hour network sitcom I end the show with like tears in my eyes you know what I mean it's just it's just there's an authenticity and an honesty to this show that that's really refreshing yeah and so many shows these days are all you know drama and kind of like the seedy narrative of, yeah. of backstabbing and so it's really great to watch a show where the family loves each other yeah. they're making a commentary on important issues and you're laughing yeah because the I yeah. feel like there's an optimism to oh, it totally. you know, yeah. that, yes. that is missing absolutely I think that's what, if you haven't seen the show or engaged it, I think you can miss by even some of the talk about the show. Is it, I don't, you don't feel like you're watching a show with an agenda. Like you're just sitting down and you, and you watch a 30 minute sitcom and it's a lot of fun. Uh, and along the way, it deals with things that are very real, real for um, the characters in the show and then, you know, real in the world we're living in. Um, but they do it with, I guess, you know, we reference Jesse's term, light touch. There's a, there's a, you're entertained and you it. might learn something. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. cool. Yeah. You know, you don't, yeah. it's not like, kind of like when you read relevant. You're entertaining. Exactly. You might learn it's a lot like reading relevant. <laughs> Watching black. Yeah, and there's jokes about relevant. hipster churches in there too. So. Yeah, there it's kind of like when you listen there's to a lot this of parallels. Yeah. Maybe, maybe there's more overlap than we thought. Hmm. Yeah, we're we're getting into covering field hockey as well. <laughs> <laughs> Even if you haven't heard Flurry's latest new album in its entirety, there's a good chance it already sounds familiar. With its haunting vocals and soaring arrangement, in 2016, her music was regularly featured in TV show and movie soundtracks. 
Described as a cinematic album, Love and War embraces Flurry's penchant for dramatic songwriting, creating emotional soundscapes with big builds and powerful anthems. Coming in at number 16, Flurry's Love and War. And I feel the pages turning, I see the candle burning down before This album is really cool, and I don't mean this as like a dig, but it's sort of like the anti-Adele. Not in that her vocals <gasps> aren't at, like powerful, but in that the way that her songs are composed, she's not overly concerned with like this pop formula. Like when she describes her album as this like cinematic feel and the cinematic album, I think she really nails that because she's not trying just to do like some someone like another powerful female vocalist like an Adele does, which is create this big, interesting build-up Shindo pop song. These are songs that you put your headphones on and you kind of go to this otherworldly musical place, which is something totally fresh. And I think it was kind of a creative risk, but I think it totally worked on Love and War. So here's a little inside inside info very about inside. Flurry. Yeah. Uh, not very, just very do we have insight about how fantastic her eyebrows are. We uh, we actually <laughs> on our team just self evident uh, on our team our very own Chelsea Steele when she lived in Nashville uh, lived with Flurry and and so we're welcoming Chelsea onto the show to Slept give us an inside couch. scoop. I in her I had an actual room. Okay. okay. <laughs> so so tell us. Okay. So what's her secret to making such an amazing album? You mm. saw it up close. Yeah, she I think is one of the most creative people I've ever met because she gives herself the freedom to be 100% herself. And I think a lot of people trap themselves in the creative process because they want to be really great or perfect, and she truly does just let all of who she is come forward. And I think that's evident in her music. Is she somebody that when you know, when you have to live with them, you like their music more or less? (laughs) More, (laughs) infinitely more. Really? She is. Yeah. I think she has a certain vibe about her as all artists do. And I think that she only became more enjoyable and I, in living with her, and I was like, oh, you actually can't package this person. Like, she is so... so she's, she's a true artist. She's not, like, the product of, like, a label or something. No, she... Yeah. I'm like, good luck packaging her because she is so much more... I think we'll always have great stuff from her because who she is is just, like, always evolving and so deep. I follow her on Instagram and I just saw that she put a neon sign in her room called Flurryland. Yeah, she... So the room <sighs> I was staying in is going to be her in-house studio. So she was glad to get rid of you. 
Yeah, so, I mean, like, so did, did you refer to your home, your collective home that you shared as Flurry Land? Like, hey, I'm locked out. Can you bring a key to Flurry Land? <laughs> I mean, what what would the other option be? Hey, the AC's broken. Flurry Land. Can we call the landlord? <laughs> it doesn't. It's not Chelsea Land is not as eloquent. I don't think as Flurry Land. Yeah, yeah. It's true. It's not. So, <laughs> yeah. Chelsea Land at all? I was happy to oblige, and she kept the fridge loaded with Lacroix. So. I'll live in Florida. Uh, truly, day. truly a great roommate. Well, what Chelsea? What real quick? What are your thoughts are of her on her latest album, Love and War? Ooh, I love it. I think it's a lot more cinematic than Arrows. That's a good term. Yeah, it we, is. We've already used that term, have we? I mean, I can you saying, come up with another adjective for it? That's how he introduced it. Is cinematic. That, cinematic. I, it I wasn't is. paying attention when Jesse was talking. No, he wasn't. Clearly. <laughs> um. What is another word? Yeah, I mean, it really is. It atmospheric. sounds like atmospheric, it dramatic, sounds, like haunting. Score. I think haunting, movie, haunting movie is, good. is good. Lush, <laughs> lush is lush is pushing it. Lush okay. sounds. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I really. I mean, truly, it is like a sonic experience. I think yeah, yeah. you can. It's one of those albums that puts a scene in your mind when you listen. Yeah, to every yeah, song. absolutely. Oh, that's good. Thank you. Yeah, that's a good description. All right. There you have Chelsea it. Steele, thanks for joining us, Chelsea. You're welcome. Yeah, thanks, Chelsea. I would also like to say, Flurry listened to last week's podcast and was really upset that I didn't mention uh, people who reached out to me about my arm being injured because she very much did and checked in with me almost every hour. Oh, why did you so. ignore her her gesture of goodwill? I just That's forgot. True. Chelsea's I I a rearview mirror friend. Like once she moves out, she doesn't <laughs> think about you ever again. No looking back, folks. <laughs> once she handed her key back to Flurryland, she just deleted her number from the phone. <laughs> and it, it, yeah, you your response was who dis? Who yeah. dis? New who dis? I'm sorry, I don't. I, sorry, I got Flur. a new phone. Who's this? But I just uh. had to clear the air because she was a great friend throughout my time of need. <laughs> a great friend and a great artist with 2016's breakout album, Amen. Love and War. Redeemer Presbyterian Church founder Tim Keller has a reputation of one of Christianity's most influential teachers. In his new book, Making Sense of God, it's easy to see why. The book takes on skepticism head on, not just of God or religion, but toward Christianity's relevance to current cultural issues. Taking on themes like justice and meaning, the book is a deep examination of the modern application of timeless truths. Coming in at number 15, Tim Keller's Making Sense of God. In Making Sense of God, I'm trying to address people who are very skeptical about the possibility that any religion has anything to offer the contemporary world or makes any sense at all. I'm seeking to show that Christianity in particular gives us resources for meaning, hope, justice, identity, satisfaction, and freedom, things that no human being can live without, Christianity not only explains why we need those things, but gives us unparalleled resources to fulfill them. T- Tim Keller's one of the guys who who's a writer and a pastor, but I feel like he's just as good in both of those spheres I, because I feel like there's some pastors that write books that aren't the best like writers or some writers who will do speaking and aren't as good. But Tim Keller is an incredible writer and is super deep. I feel smarter every time like I read something that he's written. And I feel like Making Sense of God is so applicable that it combines sort of these deep thoughts about Christianity and sort of these core apologetic ideas 
with real application to, like he was saying, ideas like identity and purpose in a way mm-hmm. that there was a lot of takeaways reading this book. Totally. Tim Keller is the guy who I point to with uh, for friends who can't reconcile their intellectualism with their faith. You know, they really wrestle with uh, their questions or kind of feeling like there isn't a space for them in the church where they can ask questions. And Tim Keller, with each of his books, does a great job at, at letting that be, but also speaking you know, to those areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I think is important about this book is, you know, what, uh, I don't know, 0405 or whatever, when The Reason for God came out, which is, I, I mean, I think by just about any measure, one of the most important books of the past, you know, 25 years or so. Yeah. Um, he came to a point, though, where he realized, which uh, that book's a fairly traditional uh, intellectual, rational case for Christianity. Uh, and But he came to a place, he said uh, in our interview together, that um, you have to have a certain reason for reading that book to even pick it up. Um, meaning a lot of people wouldn't even access that material uh, intellectually because they didn't care because what difference would it make um, if God existed or not? Uh, And so this book, he's even stepping further back and trying to make a case that if this is all true, it's a good thing. And here are all these things that that Christianity were true could offer you um, because he thinks even in our culture now, uh, a lot of people don't access intellectual questions about God because it doesn't matter one way or the other. They don't necessarily see why it matters one way or the other. Yeah. Uh, and so he's pushing back even further into this discussion point of why why is it even important uh, in the first place, which I think, you know, I mentioned the applications of this with identity issues and whatever, and there's myriad uh, ways in which it is relevant, um, but it's 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 a different question now, even just like 10 years after Hero Reason for God, which I think is a fascinating. Um, it's, it, it's, it's a good sign for Tim Keller that he's that perceptive and it's an interesting commentary on our culture itself. For, for yeah. the rest of this podcast, can we just go back and play more more of him talking? Because that clip cutting off and Jesse coming in right after, it was very jarring. Here it is. And in this book, I will change the way you think about it. Hey guys, uh, Tim Keller's new book. I know. Um, I was like, I was just settling in and really like getting immersed in what he was saying. That's what I'm saying. Smarter. The dude, the dude like the is, is like, in, in, like, I'm watching that clip earlier when I was pulling. I'm like looking in his eyes and it's like, I'm already familiar with the book. But I'm just, teach me, Tim Keller. Teach me. Well, and you know what I love about uh, Tim Keller is the church up there in Manhattan is enormous in and of itself. It's a Presbyterian church. That's enormous. I have uh, some Baptist friends who are church planning in Manhattan who have been massively helped uh, financially and otherwise resourced by Tim Keller's church. He reaches across denominational lines to affect the city. I also heard a stat recently that when they planted Redeemer, uh, Manhattan was classified as less than 2% evangelical, and now they're upwards of uh, 12 to 13%, and they have a 50-year vision of seeing that rise to 20%. So the influence of Tim Keller and Redeemer in Manhattan is, is quantifiably just enormous, and, yeah. which the, is a huge I, testament to his Redeemer, work. What, what John Tyson's doing uh, with Holy Trinity and, uh, and uh, or Trinity Redeemer, Grace. Trinity yeah. Grace. Yeah, Trinity Grace. And uh, Hillsong United, or Hillsong United. New York, yeah. and then C3. I mean, C3. those Apostles four churches yeah. up there. Those four churches and, and others What's happened in New York in the spiritual environment in yeah. New York in the last five years? It, but Tim was really the forerunner, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and John Tyson kind of came after, and then you know we know that Hillsong came, and then I mean it's just been it's incredible awesome. to see yeah. the the change in the mm-hmm. spiritual dynamic up yeah. there. Yeah, and it's interesting. It, it seems like it would take somebody with that level of intellectual yeah, absolutely. rigor, um, yeah. Yeah. To, to to last sur- and to get noticed. In that absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, those are great insights. I just had an idea too. It'd be cool to play that Tim Keller cliff with cinematic flurry music in the background oh. just to see what happened. Literally. <laughs> it'd be like a, Lord, like a sweet Lord of the Rings trailer. We would melt the internet. That's not even a good idea. <laughs> 
little dangerous, Jesse. Yeah, Tony yeah. Down. That's a whole separate podcast. It's Tim Keller sermon set the flurry. That's just a little close to the sun. That's a separate there, podcast. We should have a whole separate podcast that's just that. Just just the flurry remixes of Tim Keller. The talks. whole office sitting around being like, "All right, guys, wait. All right, press play." Yeah, it's called the Flurry Land Podcast, and it's going to blow your mind. From rising filmmaker Jeff Nichols, Loving tells the moving real-life story of Mildred and Richard Loving, the interracial couple whose romance led to the landmark Supreme Court decision, which made it illegal to prevent marriages on the basis of race. The film, which stars Ruth Nasia and Joel Edgerton, has already become one of the year's biggest critical breakouts, earning four Critics' Choice Award nominations and recognition at the Cannes Film Festival. Coming in at number 14, Loving. You realize this case could alter the Constitution of the United States. You think you'll lose? We may lose the small battles, but win the big war. Is there anything you'd like me to say to the Supreme Court justices of the United States? Yeah. Tell the judge I love my wife. So th- this movie I actually just saw uh, this past week, and it was some, like going into a movie like this where you know it's based on like a historical event and an important historical event that I feel like most people don't really have a lot of knowledge of. Mm. You kind of feel like you're getting into almost like a documentary where you just kind of learn something. But as a film message aside for just a sec this film is so incredibly well done and the characters are so compelling that it's it's an emotional experience beyond just the message of the film which is incredible uh but the performances are great the directing is great the cinematography uh it takes place back in the early 60s so you really kind of get that feel Mm -hmm. so as a film it stands alone but the message is so powerful i feel like especially in a time where america is going through some real racial tensions. A movie like this, which is a reminder of a really ugly chapter of American history, is as important as ever. Joel Egerton, I mean, I think is one of the... Everything I've seen him in, he was in a movie earlier this year, Jane, Jane Got a Gun, I think, with Natalie Portman. Yeah. Uh, phenomenal in that. Uh, phenomenal in this. Everything he's in lately has just been mind-blowing. Uh, but this, the premise of this movie, I think, is so interesting because, like you mentioned, what, a, what an odd and deeply disturbing era of our country. Um, I was, before we came in here, I was doing a little reading on it and it, you know, it had been about 20 years since we'd had um, what was called the, the racial integrity act um, in, in this country, which was basically laws against interracial marriage. And of course, that's the thing. This is, this is very recent history. Mm -hmm. This isn't like something from the 1800s. This Uh, is within a generation. This this movie was set in 64 or 63, something like that. Yeah. And um, I mean, both of my, my parents were like teenage age. You know what yeah. I mean? So the, that seems so accessible, um, and which makes it seem all the more disturbing, you know, that this kind of thing was going yeah, on. Yeah, and I mean, um, this week in the news, there was a report of a couple in Connecticut, an interracial couple that had their uh, home uh, completely torn apart by someone who broke in and wrote slurs on the walls. So this is, yes, this is history, but it's also something that is very present um, to kind of what uh, our, our nation is facing with interracial um, systemic divide. And yeah. Jeff Nichols, uh, which just to, to be clear, it's it's Jeff Nichols. If you're Googling this, it's not Pickles or Tickles, neither, uh, which, neither which we both heard Jesse which say I, in a previous I do take. have uh, a couple works of Jeff 
pickles on the list, but we'll get to those. That's 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 on that's on my Flurryland podcast. Uh, anyway, uh, Peter Travers, uh, Rolling Stone film critic, uh, one of the best. He uh, he said that that Nichols, who's only thirty seven, is already ranking as you know with the best American directors of his generation. I mean, every film he's putting out continues to build his legacy. You know, he did Mud, and like you said, Midnight Special, and. Um, some others. It's it, just phenomenal. Yeah. Take Shelter a few years ago was like an end times movie. And like you said, the guy is 37 and it honestly wouldn't be shocking if in a few months Loving is nominated for Best Picture or at yeah, least I, I, I at least get awards. some Academy Award nominations, not only because of its great director, but it's incredible acting and it's really smartly paced. Like I said, sometimes I don't have like a super high tolerance for historical movies, but man, this it really moves. It's entertaining and it's really emotional and it's it's one of the, my favorite movies I've seen this year. It's gotten over ninety percent on Rotten Tomatoes, so critics wow. agree with our, oh, yeah. our ranking. It's, the critical reviews are very favorable. Speaking of critical reviews, Aaron, since their debut in two thousand ten, Young the Giant has created catchy indie rock mm. that's both accessible and radio friendly, but also intricate and smart. And Thank on two thousand sixteen's Home of the Strange, the band gets both personal and socially conscious, exploring the immigrant experience in modern America. It's territory they know well. Each of the members is either a first-generation immigrant or the children of immigrant parents. The result is a thoughtful, driving album of some of the year's best indie rock songs. Coming in at number 13, Young the Giants, Home of the Strange. We've had Young the Giant on, and, and in a recent issue of, of the magazine, we covered them. Uh, the way she's on stands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. stands now. Yeah, so. um, and, and, and I mentioned on the main show, uh, when, 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 the, when the article got to me for my, my round on it, mm-hmm. uh, there was a statement in it. Now, granted, Aaron wrote this article, that Young the Giant <laughs> I'd it. will go down as the most important band of 2016. It's true. It's true. And I, 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 he and I had <laughs> a discussion about such a proclamation. And, I texted uh, the music community. <laughs> and we, we hedged it to say possibly one of the most, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, uh, this is a fantastic <laughs> album, uh, but, but more than just the musicality, it's really the content that, that, that compelled you to Absolutely. make such an ag- I've, egregious Okay, I've got, I've got two stand. reasons. Yes. Two reasons okay. that I think Home of the Strange is... Aaron, Aaron, real quick, I should preface, Aaron has been talking about this moment literally for weeks, that he is going to come <laughs> on this podcast and talk about Every why Every day this- I come in the office and I get on Slack and I say, Jesse... When are we talking about Home of the Strange when, on the top 50 when podcast? I, when we were doing the order of this top 50, I, you know, we put in parentheses for, for the clarification, genre, the genres, yeah, yeah. you know, the, the genre and the media type, just so we can mm-hmm. add a glance. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow, we're not, you know, we're music heavy, we're not whatever. And the genre hip-hop, indie, worship, the genre next to Young the Giant is Aaron, Aaron Rock. Rock. All, yeah. the, all the main <laughs> genres. Yeah. Aaron, Aaron you, told me, you told me that you literally did not sleep last night preparing to talk about this album. Aaron, are you ready? I, I listened to Home of the Strange all One night. One sec, on are repeat. you ready? I'm ready. 
the second season of Better Call Saul. (laughs) (laughs) Chandler, can we play a clip from uh, Tim Keller? Keller. (laughs) We could just listen to Tim Keller. No, two reasons this album is so important. Please. One, in in a year when uh, electronic and synth and all things experimental reigned, uh, Young the Giant stepped back from that. And went uh, yeah because previous albums more, they went very synth heavy they were their last album yeah. uh, was a lot more electronic went more synth this is almost exclusively analog right um, the other thing that I think is so interesting is that uh, 2016 is the year um, of build that wall yeah build that wall of Brexit uh, this week in fact you know Italy had its own nationalist uh, election uh, the nationalists didn't win but it was a big big discussion Blocking immigrants yeah. from coming to the U.S. Um, immigration the struggle xenophobia. Of, the struggle of insiders versus outsiders is definitely a theme, if not the theme yeah. of 2016. I think, I think, literally, I think xenophobia was like Webster's or one of those number one word of the words year. of the yeah. year. Yeah. Just absolutely defines our cultural tension. Uh, the guys in Young the Giant, all of whom come from immigrant homes, in fact, two of them aren't, are, they're not citizens, they're just permanent residents, uh, still. Uh, they started working on this album in 2014, and it's an exploration of their emotional experience as outsiders living in America, having a full-on American baptism. I mean, imagine your parents come here for work and to uh, have more opportunity, and your kids become rock stars. So, in some ways, there's poster childs for the, poster children for the American dream, uh, so to speak. I mean, they made the most important album of 2016. They made the most, <laughs> who would have thought? Yeah. Kids in uh, did Dearborn, Michigan, or wherever they were from. Genre and Aaron Rock. Aaron, in, the, in the Aaron Rock <laughs> genre, they're clearly number one. <laughs> Um, either way, so I, I, I think it's it's tempting for a lot of artists to want to comment on the situation of 2016 uh, as it's happening, as a way to to feel a mood and then try to speak into it. And I think what Young the Giant was able to do is uh, come from a place that's a lot more authentic because it's actually their story. Yeah. And so they they weren't trying to jump on a, you know a cultural commentary bandwagon. Uh, it was their story, and, yeah, and personal. They happened to put it forward in, in this year. Here's uh, America. It's so good. I, 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 I wish you didn't advocate for this album so much because this is such a good <laughs> album that just to spite you, I don't want to like it, but I really like it. He has to like it. It's, it's just a great album. It's, it's a great a, album. It's a great album. I just wish you weren't so outspoken about it. <laughs> you know, sometimes I walk by Cameron's office and I, and I hear them playing from under the door. Yeah. And I think, I, I know what's going on in there. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I walked by Cameron's office one day, I was playing, and me and Aaron walked by, and literally there was a record scratch. Like, <laughs> like he just grabbed the needle. Like, I, I was just cleaning something. <laughs> I'm not getting here. Aaron, have you been in my office? I'm Kahuna. Hands off my vinyls. <laughs> if you're looking for that song, uh, if you're trying to Google it, it's America with a K. See, they yeah, put a little twist on it. Yeah, yeah which is one twist. of two songs that were pretty with America with a K. With this K. Yeah. Just so weird. Yeah, but this yeah. is the most important one that came yeah. out this Cle- year. Clearly, yeah. I mean, yeah. I Leap. Who, who? especially in the genre of Aaron Rock. Absolutely, <laughs> I do not. <laughs> 
The second season of Better Call Saul shouldered big expectations. Not only was it a spinoff of one of the best beloved shows of all time, Breaking Bad, but it was also coming off a widely praised debut season. But in 2016, creator Vince Gilligan did what he does best, explored the slippery slope of moral compromises through the eyes of emotionally rich characters who want to see if they are capable of changing their lives. Coming in at number 12, Better Call Saul. Season one, the way it ended, I mean, anything could happen. Is Saul Goodman Jimmy McGill's true nature? It remains to be seen. And we left season one, and Jimmy he was at a crossroads. He's trying to figure out how he's going to live his life. And it goes in some directions that we never expected. It is absolutely a central question how far will Jimmy McGill get towards becoming Saul Goodman in season two. The more we learn about Jimmy McGill, the more we like him, and the more we dread him eventually turning into Saul Goodman. Uh, first off, if this was just my list, this would be probably number one, because Better I Call think Saul that is Jesse's Young the Giant. <laughs> this is, this is <laughs> the, the Jesse drama genre, uh, <laughs> and it is the most important <laughs> drama in the history of theater, television, or movies. There oh I said just, This is like a Donald Trump statement. <laughs> Jesse there really does it. like advocate for this. Now, I, you know, my this, statement was a lot more realistic, though. Let's just let's just clarify. The thing that really bummed me out about this being the spinoff of Breaking Bad when they announced it was Saul was my least favorite character. I mean, yeah. of all those epic characters, he was cartoonish. <laughs> And I was like, why are we going into his backstory? What Better Call Saul has done a great job doing, and especially this season, this year's season, is, is, is rounding him out so he's not cartoonish. Mm-hmm. Um, and it brings yeah. a gravitas to the backstory that I think kind of paints even the, his aspect of, of Breaking Bad in a, in a more compelling light. You know, oh, I, yeah. I think it's, it's, it's done a fantastic job, and it, it really does kind of... Uh, pick up where Breaking Bad, if everybody loved Breaking Bad, uh, where it left off. Yeah, and I, yeah. I think that's a great point that it, it almost illuminates Breaking Bad. Like as you watch it, you yeah. think, oh, like that's part of the yeah. that's part of the complex that's going into that. Yeah, yeah. And, but I feel like thematically, even beyond just someone who's like a fan of Breaking Bad and wants to enter back into that universe, which it does really well. I feel like for especially for people of faith and Christians, the, both of these shows represent uh, like an interesting question, and you can look at them as metaphors metaphors for, you know, individuals that you may know or yourself, and that is what are people's capacity to change, right? Because that's part of the core message of what we believe is that with the introduction of God that we have this capacity to change. Breaking Bad looked at, can someone go from good to bad? What does that evolution look like? And that was, you know, why the Walt White story was so interesting and compelling, because it took a chemistry teacher and made him into Scarface. But (laughs) what Better Call Saul is doing, and it showed how fast that evolution could happen, how slippery that slope was, that once you do one act, you can go down that path really quick. It's like a case study in decisions. Yeah, but but what Better Call Saul does is different because it takes, can a bad guy who he starts off as, you know, this guy who's kind of a con artist, become good and straighten him out? Or is he always destined to become bad or or be bad without the introduction of something like faith or some sort of higher power? And that's why I feel like this show is so interesting because you see the goodness in him, but you see him always get pulled back. And it's such an interesting study in that capacity of humanity and the capacity to change. Mm-hmm. 
The first full album from experimental artist Francis Farewell Starlight is one of the year's most unique releases, mm-hmm. combining pop-friendly choruses and melodies with computer-driven, tech-inspired compositions. His fresh take on production has drawn some very high-profile attention. The album notably features a collaboration with Bon Iver and Kanye West. Coming in at number 11, Farewell Starlight from Francis and the Lights. Just the best songs of oh, yeah. 2016. Yeah. That I mean, it'd be hard to top that one. Yeah. I mean, like it's just, I just so great. And and on that particular song is where Kanye and Bon Iver collaborated with uh, Francis. So yeah. speaking of genres, I feel like they're creating their own music genre. Yeah, like in this is Francis Rock. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah, it's like computer blip pop or yeah. something. Like there's so many like yeah. weird, interesting sounds, and not just like the structure of songs, but the actual sounds that Production, these songs are yeah, composed yeah. of are totally different than anything else out there right now. Literally on on that road trip I was mentioning this past uh, weekend, I I was playing a lot of stuff like this Mm -hmm. and and, and there was a long conversation in the car. What is this? Like, what are we calling this? I mean, it's not, I mean, mean, you're in the music scene. I mean, back in the day, Chandler, you you did like dream pop and stuff and all the kind of indie underground. Like, what, what is this lane being labeled? Uh, I mean, it's like synth pop, but it's, it's more. Just, it's like mixed more tastefully. I don't know. It's like deconstructed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and again, I think James Blake and all those guys uh, yeah, started kind of the beginning it. Of it. Started yeah. it, and it's like turning into its own genre now. Totally. Where yeah. it's it is pop. I mean, the melodic, you know, like the the melodies yeah, the have a it. hook, mm-hmm. but the production is deconstructed and interesting, and it's not electronic. It's also analog. But it's still it's, experimental. Yeah. yeah. That, that, that's what's so weird and interesting about it is that they're definitely like, it seems to have this weird middle ground of digital and analog at the same time. And it, they don't sound like opposite ends of, of the spectrum. They sound like they're blended perfectly together in this kind of music. James Vincent McMorrow, who was on uh, our mm-hmm. list a, a few yeah, slots ago, uh, it would be a lot of his album would be like this. Some of his album goes a little bit more uh, straightforward, kind of just synth pop. But I mean, uh, a lot of it's this deconstructed mm-hmm. kind of genre. Uh, Alt J was big in this, yeah. and uh, you know, even Jack Jack Garrett a little bit earlier yeah. earlier in our list. Uh, more on the hip hop side, does a lot of this. I love it. This yeah. is like probably my favorite thing right now. Yeah, Rye or like Rye X. Yeah, yeah. They're also like artists. Absolutely. So cool. It's like indie rock inside a video game. It's, it's you know, like it's like this otherworldly cool sound that totally works. I wonder what uh, Tim Keller talks would sound like uh, put to put to 
uh, Francis and the Lights. You think Tim Keller listens to Francis and the Lights? I don't. <laughs> I don't think fan. so. I don't. Think I think. So. I think. Yeah, while he's preaching, he probably does. That's you know. He just <laughs> gets hyped up. Beforehand. He listens. Oh, like he listens he to that, out? and he listens to. I can feel it calling in the air tonight before every sermon. That would explain <laughs> a lot. He gets super super Well, that Francis and the Lights. That was number eleven. So that means we are at the top 10. This is this is a big moment. You've come with us through 40 selections. So next week, next week, we're going to have the final 10, the best pop culture uh, uh, releases of 2016. So uh, be sure to, to download that episode and also follow us on Twitter. We're at Relevant Podcast um, and you can find our updates about this show, our other show, uh, guests that are coming up and when all these new shows, when each episode is released. Also, we want to thank our sponsor, Videoblocks. You can get your subscription today for only $149 at videoblocks.com slash relevant. That's Videoblocks, V-I-D-E-O-B-L-O-C-K-S dot com slash relevant for this discounted offer. Well, that'll do it for today's show. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm Jeff Pickles. <laughs> I'm Aaron Hanbury. <laughs> Rebecca Joe. I'm Chandler String. I'm Tim Keller, and I'm <laughs> listening to Flurry. <Florida. laughs> <laughs>